Let's go into a uh, continuation of James chapter 1. It's there on your sheets. Um, if you'd like uh, to look up things, I'm not going to do much cross-referencing today, but um, if you'd like to look things up in uh, the Bible, there's Bibles there um, and pens um, if anyone wants them. Maybe a wave if you can see someone going to grab one and you'd like something to, to take notes with. Um, I called last week's sermon, and I think it'll be the, the, the name of the series, um, Facing Life and Death Trials Together. We looked right at the end of the book of James, and we saw how um, this is something we do together, and we can, we can bring one another back from that wandering that we've been, we've been singing about, we've been thinking about. Um, and often that wandering, that desire to, to leave the God I love, it comes through trials of all kinds, and we're going to be thinking about that more now. James was writing to uh, first century Christians facing all kinds of trials. Um, they had a lot of persecution. In fact, uh, they were scattered from Jerusalem. James writing from Jerusalem to those scattered um, uh, across the regions around. Um, they were feeling far from home. They were feeling uh, lost under pressure, pressure to compromise. Um, and James says to them, verse 2, there at the top of your sheets, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And we were thinking that in extreme suffering, that, that's almost absurd to say. I remember how we ended last week and Penny very helpfully raised the question of, you know, what if someone's right in the heat of really, really difficult struggles? This wouldn't be something to bring to them in a glib way, would it? <laughs> oh, don't worry that you're going through that immensely tough time, that you're suffering illness or uh, bereavement or anxiety, um, that you're under pressure from every side. Just don't worry about that. Just consider it pure joy. Smile on your face. But actually, we saw how this is a, a calculated thing. A, a consider in, in the ESV version, it says count it all joy. That when you add up the accounts and you're thinking, well, it feels like I'm massively losing out here. James says, now, actually, if you add up correctly, God can use even the most horrific trials. And it only makes sense if God is, is totally in control, working in the details of our lives to make us more mature, living for Jesus. And then, depending on our relationship with him, as we seek him in prayer and wisdom for grace in all circumstances. And then we saw that the opposite response to our joy would be double-mindedness. Um, James talked about the double-minded person, unstable in all they do, because rather than trusting God that he can use their trials to shape them, they're sort of going every which way in order to find their own solution. And as we continue in chapter one of the book of James, we're going to step into this theme, which I've put on your sheets, this title for this morning, is what are you going to do with the trial that you face? And, and you know what that is, and, and you know that maybe right now, you're not in a great position to assess that and you, you just need the comfort of the songs that we just sung and the reminders of the gospel of grace and what we're going to look at at the end of this passage that he gives us new birth in Christ, um, that he doesn't expect us to be sorted. No, he gives his life to us. But maybe you are able just to step back and, and look at that trial that you're going through and examine it together with brothers and sisters in Christ. You might want to take what we look at this morning and deliberately book someone in to meet up with so that you can talk through what you're facing and pray through what you're facing. Or maybe you're not facing the trial. 
the trials will come. And now is a time to not waste a good crisis in the future. Uh, you know that old saying, don't waste a good crisis. Um, that actually in, in a crisis on a national scale or on a personal scale, there are times to learn and take stock and actually to rebuild. And our God is a God of, of grace who rebuilds from, from brokenness and the best, <laughs> most wonderful example and the turning point of the whole of human history is when Jesus died on the cross and it looked like wasteland. It looked like God himself had been defeated, that grace had lost. And yet it was in that moment of devastation that actually the ultimate good came. Our God is one who can bring good out of trials. And so prepare our minds so that when we are facing a trial, when, or when the, the, the trials are slow burn. I remember my mum said many, many times after my father died about 10 years ago, she said, um, I'm so grateful that he died of cancer rather than a, than a heart attack or um, uh, of some other sort of sudden death incidents because she, had a, she and he had a long time in which to say the things they needed to say and to work those through and she could see that, that maybe you're in a slow burn trial. Or maybe you're in a trial that doesn't feel like a trial, but it is a trial. Perhaps the trial of riches, of wealth, of comfort and ease. Maybe you don't think of yourself as rich, but just by being in this country. <laughs> Um, we're in the top, what, 1% or something worldwide. Um, that's, we, we have a problem, a trial of wealth, and, and we're going to see James talking about that, and we're going to dig into that a little bit, and see that actually, when he says in verse 2, trials of many kinds, he doesn't just mean the ones we think of as the, the suffering we'd like to be rid of, although God works in the suffering, and sometimes more so but actually the trials of ease and comfort and the temptations that come with that. And we're going to see the connection between um, easy trials and temptation. So let's read on. Uh, there on our sheets, we're going to pick up again where we touched on last week, uh, verse 9. Believers in... I, I, in fact, I'm going to read the whole passage. I want you to reflect. I might pause at certain points. I want you to see the things that strike you, the things that you get that you don't get, and then we'll go back through and we'll think and, and, and try and apply this to ourselves. Verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride, or, or even boast, literally boast, in their high position. So that, that's the poorest of the poor can take pride or boast in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, or literally in the original language, it's the same word, when, when trialed is the verb of the noun. When trialed, when tempted, tempted with what? Or trialed with what? No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil or with evil, nor does he tempt anyone by evil or with evil. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What are you going to do with the trial that you face? Strikingly here, he seems to think that the trial of riches is greater than the trial of poverty. And that somehow, actually here, the poor can, can help the rich. They, the poor have an advantage of seeing where reality really lies, of, of knowing that reality really lies in receiving the crown of life that the Lord has promised, and knowing that that will carry us through to eternity. That, that this life is but a breath, a vapour, as the writer to the Ecclesiastes calls it. It will pass away, or like grass or flowers that will just wilt and be gone. It might fill the, work, the room with a little bit of pleasure as you see those flowers on the table, but what happens to flowers that are cut off from the source of life? Well, they wither, they wilt, and they die. And so, in that, those who are poor can help the rich. Because as the rich come to them and say, oh, poor you, it must be so hard. Actually, with a right understanding of our poverty, in whatever way it may show itself, the poor can respond to the rich, no, poor you. Because your wealth is a trial. It, your wealth is, is tempting you to think that you can be self-sufficient, that you don't need God, that you can fix things on your own, with your own resources. What are you going to do with the trial you face, be it poverty or wealth? As I said last week, we're going to come back to that theme of rich and poor and the question of justice and so on. It's going to come up again and again in James, so we're not going to dwell on that. But just think again about the trial that you're, you face. And then think what we tend to do with it. Trials put us under pressure, don't they? And, and they're, they're like a shaking. They're, they're like a shaking that... Um, that the stuff that's inside comes out, doesn't it? And you hear it in children, we say it ourselves, when we're under pressure and we feel shaken by a circumstance or, or by someone else being, being mean to us or, or, or being harsh with us, as, as we might think. But James says, verse 13, when tempted or trialed, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The, the theme that we see here is one that's quite controversial, but actually when we think about it, it's, it's got to be true, hasn't it? We only ever do what we want. We only ever do what we want. A helpful illustration I heard this week is, um, imagine your, um, your boss at work says, um, uh, you need to lie to this client about this thing. And if you don't, then your career won't progress and will gradually you know, make you redundant or kick you out. The response could be to say, well, 
he made me lie. But he didn't make you lie, he just made you choose between your job and life. And if you lie, then you're saying that your job is more important than your integrity in that situation. And there, there are pressures that come, genuine pressures, that make life extremely difficult. But we must distinguish between the trial that can shape us and the temptation to sin. I, I found this illustration helpful. I don't know if it will work for you. But I've got three bottles here. Okay. Um, so this bottle has poison in it. You can't see how much it's got in it. And if I shake it, it, it's got a wide open lid, if I shake it, some of that poison is going to come out. Okay. Now, this bottle, if it was a person, could say to me, you made me do that. But the reason that the poison came out is not fully and finally because the shaking happened. The reason the poison came out is because the poison was in there. This bottle, although smaller, you can see is full to the brim with poison, but it's cleverly not quite so wide open. So it takes a bit more shaking <laughs> to get the poison out. I didn't imagine I'd cover myself. But you see there are two different situations. One, one, the, one the, the stuff comes out much more easily, it's more open, it's, um, its circumstances are different. The other's a bit tighter. And so it takes more of a shaking to get that poison out. But for both, the problem is the same. Is the reason the poison comes out is because there's poison in there. This bottle, absolutely wide open. No, it's not closed, it's not clever at concealing itself. It's got no social structures in order to stop whatever's in there coming out. And I shake it really, really badly, to the point of sending it to the cross. But however much I shake it, nothing comes out. Nothing comes out. Because there's no poison in there. And that bottle illustrates the Lord Jesus. None of these bottles look particularly impressive on their own. Some might look better than others. But the reason stuff comes out is because there's stuff in there. And so the, the first point of call of, of receiving God's grace is to admit that there's mess and sin and poison in our hearts. I don't know if you know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous, but it was basically built on Christian principles. And a lot of that, sadly, has been taken away. But the basic principle of the only way to begin the healing process is to admit the problem. And so, even if we've never been to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, you probably know of the meetings and how they start. And everyone goes around the room and they, they say, Hi, I'm Alex. I'm an alcoholic. And they admit the problem. And, and they confess the mess that's inside and the struggle that they're facing. And, and actually, the thing that's detrimental to their progress is if they blame the fact that they're attracted to alcohol on, on their circumstances, on their upbringing, on the pressures that they face. 
Now, first and foremost, it's so important that they own that problem themselves. And James wants us to, in receiving God's grace, to first say, it's not God's fault or my circumstances' fault that I sin. Actually, it's me. And it's what I want to do in that moment. Perhaps in my heart of hearts, in my desire, my desire is to root it out. Hence, I'm going along to the AA meeting. And so that's why confession forms such a crucial part of church life, of of our coming together, is we confess our sins before the Lord so that we can receive his grace. We can't really face these life and death trials together unless we know that we're all struggling with sin. And some of us might have a, a tight lid, as it were, and others might have a loose lid. Some of us have a short fuse, some of us have a long fuse. Some of us look better than others, but actually all of us know that in our hearts is, is a poison of sin that would lead us to death unless it's dealt with, admitted, confessed, poured out before the Lord and forgiven in the cross. You see this is a life and death issue there, verse 14, uh, 15 on your sheets. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. James calls these people dear brothers and sisters. He knows they're believers, but he knows that the temptation to sin is is deadly. And then he he gives us little illusions of what went on with the first human sin, doesn't he? Right in the Garden of Eden, verse, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. The first deception happened, didn't it, when when Satan came into the garden, came to Adam Adam and Eve, and said, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Isn't God a killjoy? God wants to spoil your fun. He wants to restrict you. He puts you under these horrible pressures. He's stopping you just... Enjoying life to the full. God's a killjoy. But come my way, and then you'll be like God or gods, knowing or deciding for yourselves what is good and evil. Make the decision for yourself. God's a killjoy. Sin will satisfy you. Verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. The Lord loves you. I love you. I want what is best for you. Don't deceive yourselves. Don't be deceived that that the reason there's sin in your life is because of out there. No, the reason there's sin in your life is because it's in here. Recognise instead, verse 17, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is the source of life. And God gives good things to us. In fact, every good thing that Satan might entice us uh, to enjoy sinfully is ultimately from God. But I found it helpful to hear this week that it's it's a bit like, in in talking about shifting shadows, James is, is recognizing the difference between the sun and the moon. The sun is the source of life and light. The moon only shines brightly and looks attractive because it receives the light of the sun. And yet, the shadows can shift, can't they? And so it doesn't. And if we go after the gift 
then, then it will seem wonderful, that gift. And we can invest in it and think that it will satisfy us. But actually, no, we need to turn around and look at the source of life that has given us that gift. And realise that every good thing around us is from him. And so when we, when we think about what am I going to use, even, even the good gift of, say, alcohol, which one of the Psalms describes as um, wine that gladdens the hearts of God's people, or the good gift of money, or the good gift of relationships, and so on. Am I going to focus on that thing, even if I know that the Lord himself doesn't want that for me right now? Or am I going to turn around to the source of life himself, who does not change like shifting shadows? Don't assume the worst of your Heavenly Father in the trial. It's so easy to cry out in the trial, isn't it? God, why are you doing this to me? But actually James says, no, consider it, count it pure joy. And so the, the way that we say, Lord, why are, you doing, why are you letting me go through this? It must be because you have something better in mind. You're, you're shaping me, you're teaching me. You want me to come before my brothers and sisters and, and share and, and confess my sin, perhaps in private, pour out that poison slowly for you, to ask the Lord Jesus to take it, to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for me on the cross. I don't want to be controlled by this poison in my heart anymore. Recognise that only God can make you safe and happy and secure. None of those things out there can. Money can't make you safe and happy and secure. Only the Lord can. And he is so gracious, isn't he, verse 18. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God is going to remake this world to be a perfect new creation. But it can only be so if the humanity that he has made in his image is transformed first. And so it is that Jesus said to Nicodemus, who came to him in the, in, in the middle of the night, oh, this is all very interesting what you're saying, and Jesus just goes straight to the heart of the matter, you must be born again this great impressive-looking religious leader. You must be born again. You need to be changed from within. The problems aren't out there, they are in here. You need your heart to be changed by the Lord, who is a God of grace, who wants to give you a new life that focuses on him and finds him satisfying rather than just the things around you satisfying. Don't be deceived, verse 16. Verse 17, receive. Don't be deceived, but instead receive. God is a consistent giver of gifts of grace. Don't be deceived in thinking that you're fine and the problem's all out there. And if only they weren't mean to me in that way, or if only I didn't lose my job in that way, or if only I had more money, or if only I had that relationship, then I wouldn't sin. No, don't be deceived. Receive from God the giver. What can we in ourselves, in and of ourselves, give birth to? Just look back to verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. If we follow the lie of Satan, that if we do things our way and we ignore God, the giver, and we start to invest in things other than him, that's, that's sin. Sin is just independence from God. It's not necessarily the things that we do. The, the thing that Adam and Eve did in that circumstance was just to take some fruit. There's nothing wrong with eating fruit. In fact, it's a very good thing to eat fruit, isn't it? 
It's what it meant in their minds. It meant we are independent from God and we're setting ourselves up from God to be independent from him. And where does that lead? When it's fully grown, it gives birth to death. Many of you know one of my favourite illustrations is that we're, we're made for a relationship with God like a branch in a tree. If the branch cuts itself off from the tree, then it's cut off from the source of life. It can only go one way. That desire to be independent from God gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. And James says, admit you've got that. Pour it out before the Lord and receive his grace, because you and yourself can only give birth to sin and death, but God can give you rebirth in the gospel. And that's what you need. I'd love us to spend a time, a bit of time applying this to ourselves. We're going to, um, in about five minutes or so, probably uh, sing the last song on our sheets, which helps us to think through immense pressures and trials that we might face and what God is going to do with us in those trials. I want to share with you some, some things that I've picked up. I've been I was feeling very weak this morning because I've been feeling very convicted by this passage and I've been fed by other pastors who've been, I've been listening to and have been preaching to me. And um, I'm going to share with you some of the things I found helpful. Uh, some of this might, you might find helpful, some of it you might find tricky and, and you want to talk and think that through and pray that through. And, and I do think this is, if, if ever there's a Sunday when you might want to grab someone and say, can we go for coffee this week and can we work this through, I'd like to talk through the... The, the poison in my heart so that I pour it out before the Lord and receive his grace rather than every time I get shaken with trials it comes out in nastiness. This week might be a good way to do that. But let me share with you some thoughts from, from others. Uh, one was I was listening to Tim Keller and he said, he talked about the, his position as a pastor and I, I could see this for real. Every, every trial is also a temptation. So, so he talked about as a pastor Definitively, your position must change you. Whatever job you have, your position must change you. But for, he used the example of when you have to preach every week. Sometimes, have you ever come to church where you just don't feel like it? And, and, and you just don't feel that deep connection with the Lord and, and you know the truths in the back of your mind, but you're like, God, you just don't seem real to me at the moment. You don't seem that special. And I've got to stand in front of your people and say that you're wonderful. And I just don't think you're that wonderful. And there's a trial. But it's also a temptation because when you've got a genetic smile and airs and graces and you've been trained, you can fake it. And so the wonderful privilege of teaching God's people can become a temptation to fake it and just look good and look impressive. Or we've thought already, haven't we, that when you get more wealthy, your, your riches will either deepen your dependence on the Lord as you say, Lord, wow, you've given me so much, so much more than I need. What shall I do with this? I'd love to pour out your grace on others. Where, where is it that the needs are? How can I pray into those projects? How can I serve the poor and the needy? How can I let my congregation um, and my brothers and sisters in Christ know that I don't consider any of my possessions my own, but they can, they can have it and they can tap in. Lord, what do I do with this wealth? I'm, I'm tempted by it, but I want to use it for you. It c your trial can be an opportunity for growth, but it can also be a temptation to total independence from the Lord. So much so that Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
and yet we lie to ourselves. Yeah, I know Jesus says that wealth is deadly dangerous and could lead me to eternal damnation, but I just think I needed a little bit more of it. Rather than recognising the risk that it is and realising that actually that's a real trial. Will you be more generous or more arrogant with your wealth? And then thinking through that reality that you only ever sin because you want to or desire to. And, and just, just thinking through, don't confuse the cause of sin with the occasion, the trial. So, so don't, don't, the occasion is the test, but the, the cause of your sin is your own desire. Like, like a school exam, I found this helpful. A school exam is the occasion for failure or success. But, but let's say someone hasn't done any work for their school exam. The exam isn't the cause of the failure. But they might say, if it weren't for that stupid exam, I wouldn't have failed. Well, no, actually, the, the exam was the test of what was there in their mind. One thing that's that's tough and will require really gentle and careful pastoral care, and if you're the person meeting up for coffee with someone who's struggling, we need to know that our background and our circumstances do play a lot into the um, way that we're shaken in life, such that it's true to say that abusers tend to have been abused themselves. Now, wonderfully, most people who've been abused don't end up as abusers, but you're far more likely to end up as an abuser if you yourself has been abused. And so the way you sin is probably linked to your upbringing and in part to your genes. And so it's true to say that if someone's got alcoholism in their family, they're more likely to struggle with alcoholism. It's true to say if someone has experienced abuse, they're more likely to be tempted towards abuse. It doesn't force us to sin in that way, but, and, and in fact, we mustn't go the way of society of just sort of, of taking away the dignity of individuals. Give each other the dignity not to use the trial as an excuse for sin. We, we sin or we resist because we want to. We sin or we resist sin because we want to, but if we really want to resist, we will invite others into the journey. If we really want to resist, we will invite others into the journey, facing life and death trials together. You see, if you don't really want to resist, then you'll, you'll know you'll go through dangerous circumstances. If there's no one else there to help you, you're going to fall. Like um, the silly illustration I heard this week, which is quite helpful on this, the, the, the little boy whose uh, mum said, don't go and swim in that river because it's got Lyme's disease and sewage in it. Please don't swim in that river. And she had to tell him again and again because she knew he was sorely tempted to swim in that river, especially on a hot day, and it didn't look that polluted. And he came home from school and, and his hair was wet and his swimming costume was wet. And she's like, you swim in that river like I told you not to. We might have to go to the doctor now. And he said, yeah, yeah, I, I just couldn't help it. I was so tempted. She said, well, why did you take your swimming costume with you? Well, that was just in case I would be tempted. And if we, if we don't put in place things to stop us, then 
actually, ultimately, we're saying we do want to give in to that desire. And so let's be realistic with ourselves and fair on ourselves. We can't just stop this tomorrow. And so ask yourself this question. I found this so helpful as I was preparing this week. If you were the devil, if you were the devil, what tool would you use to tempt you? Because the tool the devil will use to tempt you is very different to, from the tool that he uses to tempt me. And so you know yourself, okay, then go for coffee with someone and say, if I were the devil, this is the tool I'd use to tempt me, so can you help me to put blockers in place? How are you going to pour out the poison before the shaking happens? We always do what we want to do. And it tends to be when we hear the voice of the Lord and he's working in us and he's given us new birth and we're thinking right now, actually, I do want to be like the Lord Jesus. I do want to be like him, where as much as I'm shaken, no poison comes out. I want to be like that. And I know I'm not like that. And I want to receive his grace. Why don't we take the time now, actually, maybe, and Donnie, you might want to come forward and we're going to just sing this last song and, and maybe speak some of those truths back to each other. Let's, let's take some time to receive God's grace and put, while we, while we know what we really, really, really want, to be conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus, to be shaped to be like him, to become mature and complete in him, let's, let's take some time to think, what am I going to do this week? Who am I going to meet with for coffee? so that I can tell them what the devil might find most helpful to get me to sin. And that we can work on this together. When you know what you really want, you can protect yourself from the times when you might do what you don't ultimately want to do, but you will want to do in the moment. I don't know if that makes sense. But I'm going to pray and then we're going to reflect on these words on the sheet. In fact, I'm going to do something slightly different. Instead of singing it, Ashley and Donnie, if you'd be happy to play it, I'm going to read it. Jim told me that he found it helpful once um, when uh, he heard a song he knew very well read while the music that should have been sung to was sung. And maybe that'll help it sink into your hearts. This is a chance for me to, for us to speak to one another with song. In fact, it's such, a, it's such a beautiful song. I keep changing my mind. Ashley and Don, if you'd sing the first verse, and then I'm going to read the rest. Here we are. One of my struggles is fumbling. Go on, let's sing the first verse, and then I'll read the rest. Sing the first verse, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
Let the world despise and leave me. They have left my saviour too. Human hearts and looks deceive me. Thou art not like them untrue. Oh, while thou dost smile upon me, God of wisdom, love and might, foes may hate and friends disown me. Show thy face and all is bright. Go then, earthly fame and treasure. Come disaster, scorn and pain. In thy service, pain is pleasure. With thy favour, loss is gain. I have called thee Abba Father. I have stayed my heart on thee. Storms may howl and clouds may gather. All must work for good to me. Soul then know thy full salvation. Rise over sin and fear and care, joy to find in every station, something still to do or bear. Think what spirit dwells within thee, think what Father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? The word repine it means whining or complaining. Haste thee on from grace to glory. Armed by faith and winged by prayer. Heaven's eternal days before thee. God's own hand shall guide thee there. Soon shall close thy earthly mission. Soon shall pass thy pilgrim days. Hope shall change to glad fruition. Faith to sight and prayer to praise.